Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the Federal Law Enforcement Agency of the United States Air Force. I'm Hannah, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I've been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Welcome back, archivists. I'm not welcome I'm, back. I'm not used to you not counting it down, so it's a little strange. Okay. <laughs> What's going on? What have you been doing? Nothing. <laughs> being okay, a see, parent. See, I'm. I'm. Oh, be, what? Being a parent. Being a parent. <laughs> okay, the kids are kids. Are okay. Yeah. I can't wait. You're gonna come visit us in a couple weeks. Hmm. I'm thinking about staying for a couple weeks. <laughs> really? <laughs> Can I? <laughs> why? Why? I just said that just to annoy you, just to get a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's everybody in the world's going to hear now. Uh, Hannah's dad said, "Why? Why wouldn't he want her to stay for a couple weeks?" Yeah. Exactly. All right. What? What do we I'm have? Just kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Your mother will be all excited and happy. Yeah. Was she going through pictures still when you got home? No. Was she going through pictures today? Yeah, I asked her if uh, she could find a specific picture of me that I know that you guys have. And oh. so she was like, we were on the phone for a while, and then she was going through the pictures while I was on the phone with her, and oh, I had right. to hang up on her, and she was we'll still have going to go through them. Check on that. No, she wasn't. So. Yeah, she was going through all of them. It was funny. Awesome. Yeah. All right. What do we what do we have this week? Okay, so this week we are talking about the murder of Laura Kempton. Laura was 23 years old at the time in 1981, living in Portsmouth by herself in New Hampshire. So Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm sorry. Am I pronouncing mm -hmm. that correctly, Mr. Yep, that's New right. England? Yep, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That's a cool place. Yeah. She what year again? 1981. Okay. Okay. So Laura was a student at Portsmouth, Portsmouth Beauty School for Hairdressing, oh, or nice. it commonly known in 2024 as Cosmetology School. Mm -hmm. So it, you, I know that it used to be called that. And the article that I was reading was from like a, an older article. She was also working at a local gift store called Macro Polo. She is described by her friends and family as an outgoing free spirit with a big personality. Mm -hmm. She also uh, had a very active social life. Her friends and family are saying these things about her. And she went out quite a bit with her friends often. So on September 28th, 1981, at around 930 in the morning, an officer Ron Grevoy with the Portsmouth, Portsmouth Police Department was attempting to serve a court summons for a parking meter violation at Laura's apartment. Now, Laura's apartment looks like a house, but it was like a full like apartment, like there were multiple apartments. So not necessarily to her, just at the at the complex, so to speak. So that's what I was going to say. It didn't specify that he was going to serve her papers. Right. It didn't specify who, but there are other people. There's like three floors, three or four floors to their apart her apartment. Mm -hmm. But when you see the picture of the apartment, it does kind of just look like a house. Okay. 
So I was like, I want to know who he was there serving, but it did not sound, it did not specify that it was her that was getting. It, it could have been like one of those duplexes, right? Yeah. Where, where there's many apartments within, you know. Because like the doors to the apartments are on the outside. So yeah, like yeah. you can okay. see everyone's front doors. Mm-hmm. It's not like sure. that's an inside thing. So while he's at the apartment, he notices that Laura's, front door like one of the panels on the it's a wooden door one of the panels of the door is like ripped off and there's like something metal blocking so there's like a clear hole giant hole in her front door when he looked through part of that door that was it was like just a small little opening because it was a big hole but there's like this big metal thing like blocking half of it almost like it was repaired you mean no because i know what it is okay okay all right that it's just going to end up being part of the door. There's like a metal okay. piece. Essentially, he like the person. Oh, it's the so like the doorknob's gone and it's the mortise on the inside. Like the like no, the, it, the, the doorknob is still there. It's like in the center of the door. Ah, okay, so he, right. yeah, like someone broke through the door. Oh, it's clearly like a to, hole punched through. Okay, yeah, or like right. however he it okay. wasn't a punch, but yes. So there's just like a metal piece. So my point is, is that there wasn't a huge opening to see into the apartment, but like clearly okay. there was something wrong with the okay. door like that. All right. So he looks in through that little hole. He sees Laura's body lying on the floor. Oh no. He says Jeez. that the upper part of her body. So what he can see is that the upper part of her body is covered with a blanket and he could see her legs and he could see that they were tied with a white cord. He also noticed through this hole that there was some blood splatter. That's the correct term, right? Spatter. Okay. In the attorney general's report, it said splatter. And when I read it, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not true. That's not correct. But this is the attorney general's report. So it has to yeah, be correct. It, that's, it's spatter. It's, it's spatter. That's what I thought. Blood spatter. I can never remember what you say, and I was confused because I was reading this from the attorney general's report from the press release. So I was like, real quick, I got a question for you. What he sees, can he enter without a warrant? Yes. Probable cause. Because there's rope tied. There's probable cause that there's a crime, right? And the blood. Oh, and the blood. If the blood and rope weren't there, it might be a life safety thing that you could, you could, you could barge in but because the blood and the rope that's probable cause that crime has been committed wouldn't the door be probable cause enough like it clear broke broken an entry it's it's all yes there's plenty there's all of it together there's plenty he's busting in he's he's authorized to do that yep what if like it was like a normal person who has enough like if it was just a neighbor and they entered would they get in trouble for like no you you don't the the those requirements don't 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 count for regular citizens. I so mean, they wouldn't get you, in trouble. You, well, I mean, you might you might be breaking and entering or, yeah. or something, right? You know, but you you bust in and you find a, a dead person. The police are probably going to let that go. <laughs> you know, but gotcha. you a regular civilian has to worry about just other regular laws and stuff. Gotcha. Are you going to start quizzing me now on things yes. that I've learned? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay, so he notices the blood spatter on the wall. So he immediately, obviously, enters and secures the scene, and he calls for backup. Once other law enforcement from the Portsmouth Police Department arrive, 
they immediately start looking outside for signs of forced entry, which I thought was interesting that that was the way that they worded it because clearly there was forced entry. Well, what was the status of the door? Did it say like, was the door still secured? It was still shut. It was okay. just, yeah. There, but you could put it your hand clearly... through and unlock it and go in. That's essentially that's yeah. That's ended I, up what happening. Yes, I would have thought that was forced entry. You know, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, that's kind of I. Okay. That was an immediate sign of forced entry mm -hmm. to me. But okay. they were they were checking like the back door and all the windows yeah. and stuff too. Right to to rule out to rule out that that just happened afterwards and the person exited that way or something. Sure to rule out. Okay, we've checked all the other doors. Somebody busted in here, and then they let when they left. They they. It sounds like they busted in, reached a hand in, opened the door, and then on the way out, they just pulled it shut. Mm -hmm. So probably somebody that that she knows, and maybe she she wouldn't answer. Way. Maybe she wouldn't answer the door for them initially. Mm. Okay. So they noticed that the windows and the basement door were locked shut and could not have been opened. It was locked with like a rusty lock. So there was mm -hmm. like, it had been locked. It hadn't been opened. Mm -hmm. So it was just the front door was obviously the point of entry. Okay. So for the crime scene and evidence, I have a long list. I have a lot of information about this crime scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as I mentioned, Laura's body is lying on the floor. So the way that her apartment was set up, the where she was lying on, the floor that she was lying on was in the front main room of the apartment that mm -hmm. she was also using as like a bedroom living room area. So it kind of sounded- A bedroom living me, room? Those are two different things. So it kind of sounded to me like she was living in a studio apartment. Okay, yeah. I didn't see any pictures of the inside, just of the outside. And yeah. like I said, the building looks small. That makes so sense. To me, it sounded like a studio apartment Makes type sense. of situation. And when he looked in, he was able to see that entire scene. Mm -hmm. So it was sounded like a studio apartment. So she's lying okay. right there in the main like living area. So what he had seen originally, I mentioned he saw something covering the upper part of her body. It was uh -huh. actually the whole bed and like box spring bedding, the sheets, like the whole bed and box spring was found on top of the half upper half of her body and she was found naked underneath lying on her back her ankles were tied with white electrical cord that they came to the conclusion was from the electric blanket that they found later on during oh, their search of the house okay all right her apartment had clearly been gone through like it had clearly been ransacked someone had clearly torn apart drawers and taken everything out and was like looking for something. There was also signs of a struggle in the living room slash bedroom area where she was found, which again, a bed being on top of someone and the front door, I, obvious signs of struggle to me. It seems I silly mean, to have to say that If the loud. cord came from something that was in the other room, somebody had to go grab it. They grab what they had. There's definitely, this is definitely a, a violent situation. I'm feeling yeah. like. Someone had gone through, so whoever had committed this crime had clearly gone through Laura's closets, her mm -hmm. furniture, paperwork. Everything was just thrown about the apartment, which again, Probably that goes ex, back. Ex-lover or something. That goes back to the being ransacked. Like that's how they right. could tell. Yeah. It was clear. Mm -hmm. There was also a gray phone cord found around Laura's neck and shoulder. They 
said that that came from the kitchen phone. Wow. So the person had to go get the blanket, cut that off, go get the phone, cut that off. Do you see what's going on here? So th there's something weird. Mm -hmm. There are signs, like obvious signs. We're not to the autopsy yet, but just to police, there are obvious signs of blunt force trauma to the left side of her head, along with different injuries to her face. There was a lot of blood on the rug that was underneath Laura's head. Like I mentioned, that blood spatter that was on the wall, it was an upward angle in that same living room cast floor off. or wall. I'm sorry. Cast it's off. It's probably cast off. Remember, I think we talked about that at one point. You're hitting someone over the head with an object and the blood from that object is flying, flying. up to the ceiling. It's called cast off. There is also a cigarette butt found on the floor on the left ah, side nice. of her lower DNA. half of her body. Although in 1981, the DNA was not a thing. So, Yes, the cigarette butt will become important later on, though. So, yes, there is also a glass bottle that was found. There's multiple glass bottles, but this one is found next to Laura's body. That's taken into evidence. Police believe that this is the potential murder weapon. Uh-huh. Okay. They find latent fingerprints. Fingerprints, yep. Just fingerprints. Where'd they find them? On the bottle? Outside the apartment, outside the second floor back door, and that front door area where her front door was broken. They also recover fingerprints from inside the apartment from the telephone. Um, and then if I am later on, what I'll get to is there was also DNA on that glass bottle because the glass bottle will be used. This is a genetic genealogy case. Um, let me back up for a second. Like some fingerprints, like you might pick up the bottle and you can see the fingerprint, mm -hmm. but then you might dust something and then the fingerprint appears. That's latent fingerprint. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like what, but, so like, with that we've talked about this before like with the the dusting and then it shows yeah. up not just okay do you remember when you as a kid yeah for people who are new listeners do you want to tell oh, that story we, again? have we said that before we've um, once like a long time ago yeah. uh, okay all right when hannah was a kid i i took uh lead from a pen the pencil you know mm -hmm. and i would bust the, the tips off of the lead i would sharpen it bust the tips off and i would crush it all up right and then i would have Hannah put her fingerprint on something. And then we took like one of her makeup little brushes that she wasn't using anymore, maybe your mother's brush. And I showed her how to dust and make the fingerprint fingerprint appear. And then we take a piece of tape and, and lift, lift the fingerprint. That's some old school and investigating. Yeah. I remember I had like a, it was like a book or a kit for some like detective thing mm -hmm. that you had gotten me after. Yeah. That what too. was that and book? Was... Yeah. Yeah, because I have I have the two that you got me for Christmas a couple of years ago. They're sitting here, but I had like a whole like kit back like when I was younger, younger. So it was like a play that's kit. what Hannah Hannah's growing up was like that and history vacations. Yes, well, we also <laughs> lived in like we lived in a hist historical place for six years. So yeah, yeah. So and history vacation, we went to we went to Hiroshima during uh, on the the year of the 60th anniversary of the dropping of the um, atomic bomb. Honestly, we could probably do a whole nother podcast just on like history and all the places we've been to between yeah. mm -hmm. Japan and Fredericksburg and all of the different. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like a whole nother podcast. Right. All right. Okay. So thank you for that explanation on latent fingerprints, because I always forget what that term mm -hmm. 
because again, that's like more old school nowadays. It's just a straight fingerprint because they can just right. No, you it's a little more easier to get no, fingerprints. That's still, you, they still no, do that. You, you, that's still how you do it. The only difference is Leighton is like, it's not apparent, right? Oh, so okay. on my cup, I'm putting a fingerprint down because it oils in my, in my skin, but you can't see it. Whereas on that bottle that somebody picked up, you might be able to look and see that or, or blood, like there's a handprint right. and you can see, you clearly see the fingerprint. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So, so the blood one is a good example. If there's a, like a, a thumbprint or handprint or something, and it's clearly a print in blood, you have to capture that a different way than than lifting it uh, with dust by dusting and lifting it with the adhesive, you know. Yeah, um, an episode that we will have we will be recording soon. There is a bloody footprint on a floor that they cut out of yeah, the floor. Yeah, they cut the floor. Yeah, of the wood. Yeah, and just preserve the whole thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. taking a high resolution picture it will will do that too. But that's mm-hmm. the difference in, in latent. Okay. Police also keep pieces of this. So this part was a little confusing to me, but this was again, the most in depth that I could, uh, that it it, like explained it. So they kept pieces of the front door to then later reconstruct it. I'm guessing because obviously someone is going to eventually move back into that apartment and they need a front door. I just, I feel like maybe just taking the whole front door and just getting a brand new front door would have been a little bit easier. Say that again. They kept pieces or they kept the whole. They kept pieces of the front door that had been broken in order to reconstruct it. And that's yeah, how no. they end up figuring it out. I'm like, why didn't they just keep the, the whole front door? Yeah. Why didn't they take the whole door? So that's kind of confusing. Yeah. Or, Maybe or... for testing. Yeah. Purposes? So they wanted to recreate the whole door because they probably were going to do experiments, bashing the door, that kind of stuff. Maybe. I guess that makes more sense. But the door isn't necessarily evidence, right? I guess unless, unless they pulled fingerprints or something. So they're going to just recreate it. I would need more details about that. There were pry marks on the outside of the broken door panel that had been made by a piece of black metal. Ah. So. Okay. This part is what was like a little bit confusing for me because the black metal piece that had been blocking the hole in the door, they said is what came from the mailbox and that's what was used to pry open like the door and like create that hole. But then later on in the rest of the press release that I was reading, it goes on to say that the metal piece that was like in the door was a part of the door frame. So like the person was like ripping through the door and that metal thing was like what was in the middle of the door, like keeping it st- stable. And so that was a like part the of the door. It was just a part of the door. Okay. So there's a couple different metal pieces going on here is what it sounded like to me. But either way, there were pry marks on the outside of the broken door panel that had been made by a piece of black metal. So that is all the evidence and the the crime scene that we have. All right. So they're, they're – do they have that – okay, yeah, that was kind of confusing. But but they, they understand that the thing was attempted to – pry in and then somehow they smashed the door and what'd you say were there fingerprints on the inside you said of the door or on the outside of the the door area okay so they got fingerprints this is good they got i have a picture they have and yeah this is a pretty i mean they're piecing together this crime scene um which seems to be a little violent yes i'm sending you a picture of the door 
so you can see what I mean. Okay, so here, this is, I'm going to read a quote. Did you get the picture? Oh, you sent it to me? Yeah, and then I'm going to read this little excerpt from the Attorney General's report so you can understand the store thing, because maybe I just misunderstood it when reading it. Okay. Do you see the picture? Yeah. Okay. Investigators also, so this is coming straight. Is that the hole, that big square? Yeah, that's not that big. Oh, so they That's punched the out like a panel, probably like a panel. That's why I said the panel was broken. Oh, this is. Yeah, this picture is definitely paints a different picture. OK, OK. All right. OK, so this the, uh, let me read this little part because I might just be misunderstanding this. Okay. And I will all we can will um, link this report so everyone can see where I'm quoting this from. So this is mm -hmm. straight from the report. Investigators also observed that once the wooden part of the panel was removed, the only thing remaining was a thin piece of sheet metal on the inside of the door held in place by four pieces of molding. This metal was thin enough that it appeared that the perpetrator was able to pry it off with the pieces of bent metal from the mailbox. I'm okay. I read rereading it. I'm understanding now resulting in one piece of molding falling out of the door. Investigators concluded that the piece of molding that fell out of the door was the same piece of molding found under Miss Kempton's body at the scene. Okay, I just misread it the first time I read it because that yeah, means I get it now. And what you're sending me here, they kept pieces of the door. They they reconstructed the door to learn more about how how um how the person entered. Because if they figure that all out, then when they get a bad guy, that would be information that only the bad guy would know. So they used the perpetrator used the mailbox to pry open the door and then the metal piece, there was a metal piece on the inside and that got inside. So yeah, I'm, gotcha. I'm on board now. I would just okay. misread it the first time too. All right. Yeah. Okay. So the autopsy was done that same day in the afternoon, September 28th, 1981. So cause of death is listed in this report as a severe beating about the head that was like the official what it said but also terminal pulmonary edema the medical examiner found a massive trauma to the left side of her head remember i mentioned police said that they noticed what appeared to be blunt force trauma so it was it, it was a constant beating like the bottle itself wasn't enough on one or two hits to to kill her or knock her out. It, it was a constant beating is what it sounds like, which is brutal. Jesus. And I'm not done with the rest of what the medical oh examiner okay. found. All right. So aside from the massive trauma to the left side of her head, there was also lacerations to her forehead and left side. She had extensive complex fractures to her skull and lacerations Jeez. and contusions of her brain. The doctor also said that she had a caved in appearance of her skull that was consistent with being struck by a heavy blunt object like the wine bottle that had been found next to her body. He agrees with police that that was a possible weapon, the possible murder weapon. Mm -hmm. The medical examiner goes on to say that the cuts to her forehead could have come from an object, but her split and bruised lip were consistent with blows from a fist. Jeez, this is this is personal brutal crap right here they yeah this, whoever the bad guy is really went to town that's terrible Ugh. the medical examiner goes on to say that he can't give an exact time of death he's not completely sure what time he died but he's going to estimate it to be around 2 30 a.m plus or minus an hour 
toxicology report mm-hmm. showed no signs of drugs or medication. However, she had a uh, Laura had a blood alcohol content of 0.11, which that's a lot, isn't it? 0.11. Zero, zero isn't the point... legal limit like 0.01 or something? Is it 0.01 or or 0? So 0.1 or 0.1 because point point 0.1 is is probably serious, right? It's 0.11. So it's 0.11. Um, yeah, like for the, in the state that I live in the legal, it is illegal to drive with a 0.08 or higher. So 0.11 is higher than 0.0 something. Okay. I just pulled something from university of Toledo. It's just, it's just something I got. Right. So what was it again? 0.11. Zero. Okay. So 0.11 that's drunk. Yeah. High is reduced, depressive effects, anxiety, depression, unease, more pronounced, gross motor impairment, judgment. So that's drunk. So she had a high blood alcohol content. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I I, I wonder if she, well, I'm, I'm not going to say it because I'll catch hell, but I'm wondering if she came home with somebody that night. I'm going to get to that in a second. She did go out. Oh, she was out drinking that night. Yeah, drinking. She did she out. meet somebody and, and come home? I mean, it could have been somebody she knows, too. But that was, this is really, like, aggressive, this, this murder. Over, yeah. The medical examiner is also, the medical examiner is also able to take swabs of DNA for, for forensic from her body um, for potential DNA profiles. And they were sent to the New Hampshire State Forensic Lab for testing. Again, we're in 1981 still, so really mm-hmm. the only thing they're going to be able to do is come up with, like, the blood type. Blood type. type, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so from witnesses, we police are able to put together a timeline of the events in the day, in the 24 hours leading up to and the day, night of her murder. September 28th, 1981, early, early morning hours is the last time that Laura is seen alive. So that morning like just a few hours before the police officer arrived and found her because she had what? Who last seen her? One of her friends. But they put the time of death at two 30 in the morning. Oh, you're saying the the morning before. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Sorry. We're like overnight into like the 27th into the 28th, like overnight because she was out overnight. So on the 26th and the 27th, so like the 24 hours beforehand, she had been with someone named JR. They had met at the Riverside Club in Portsmouth. And after the club closed, they actually went to her apartment and they got there at around 1.30 a.m. When police this is witnesses? To... Yes. Witnesses have given read... the police this? Yes. Okay. I'm telling you all of the witnesses, their okay. stories now. Subject number one. He tells them that he they got to her apartment at 1.30. They left 30 minutes later to get food. They got back an hour later. So now this is 3 a.m. on the 27th. So again, 24 hours before. And they stayed the rest of the night there until morning. So he stayed the night. Laura, he tells police that Laura asked him to double check that her door was locked before they went to bed. And then he tells police that they did have intercourse in the morning. And then he said that they showered. And then he said, he goes on to tell police that she was in perfect, like, health. Like, she she didn't have any cuts or bruises. There was nothing 
wrong with her at that time and he leaves and then does not see her again they both leave like she goes to work he uh, leaves yeah he's the uh, yeah come on you don't you don't think you don't think he's telling the truth no like you like how do you prove we have to prove that like i'd be like okay listen dude do you understand what happened here? Like, so at what time did he say he left? It was like early in the morning, like seven, eight o'clock in the morning when they left on the 27th for work. And then. Or 10. She, yeah, early in the morning, seven, eight in the morning. Okay, so she supposedly goes out that night. And, uh, okay, what, whatever. I mean, that's. Because a this is the 27th yeah. and to the 28th. So he's saying right, the last time. Yeah. And she was murdered the 20, uh, technically the 29th, if it's like two o'clock in the morning. Right. Okay. You don't believe him? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, he he's still, he's, I mean, he had access to her. 9.30. Right? I'm so, sorry. They left their Laura's apartment at 9.30 that morning. So 24 hour later, she's found dead. Okay. They, oh, he, I'm sorry. They go on. He says that they went to Goldie's Deli for breakfast before she had to be to work at 10. And that was the last time that he had seen her. So. Okay. All right. I'm pretty quickly going to shut down your suspicions of him though. Because okay. we have more witnesses that are going to corroborate right. his story. All right, cool. Peel it back. He also, he also, I don't this, I don't think this was like super important, but he does also tell police that it, before they left for the deli that morning, she put a cash into an envelope and left it on the kitchen table before they left her apartment. That doesn't ever come back, but it feels important. So witnesses corroborate his story. Uh, they tell police that they did see the two of them. There are just witnesses that say, yes, we saw Jr. and Laura at Goldie's Deli around the same time that Jr. said that they were there. Uh, Laura's boss from the Macro Polo store says that, yes, she showed up for work. Her shift was 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And she came in 10 a.m. and worked till 7 p.m. And again, this is the 28th. N no. 27th. 20th. I'm sorry. 27th. Yes. We're still on the 27th. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the midnights. It's over the overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. He didn't kill her that night. No, I'm sorry. It's the 27th into the 20th. She was murdered on the 28th. Right. In, in the early morning. So we, yes, the 27th. Okay. We're what on night the 27th. Did he, what night did he spend the night? The 26th into the 27th, but they didn't get right. back to her apartment until like 1 a.m. I'm sorry, yeah. because it's the past midnight. So technically, and, and then she 27th. went to work on the 27th, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So Laura's friend, Karen Weiss, is our. So next... he wasn't the last one to see her alive then. Okay. Correct. Never That's... mind. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Laura's friend, Karen Weiss, she is our next witness that is going to put together more of this timeline for uh, Laura's last day she tells police that on the 27th when laura got off from, from work karen and laura met each other at laura's apartment at 9 p.m karen tells police that there was no one else at the apartment it was just them and they walked to luca's restaurant for dinner and to have some drinks and to watch some live music this is a popular restaurant that has live music and drinks karen also tells police that Laura had actually been dating someone in the band at Luca's restaurant. She goes on to say that Laura had wanted him to go back home with her that night, but he couldn't. Laura hmm. and Karen stay at the restaurant until about 1 a.m., which is when the restaurant closed. And from there, they walked back to Laura's apartment. 
Karen tells them that Laura did ask her to stay the night, but Karen said she couldn't because she had work early the next morning. So then Laura asked Karen if they could go get coffee together, but Karen said no and went home. So other witnesses from the restaurant also corroborate Karen's story and the timeline and say, yes, we saw Laura and Karen at Lucas restaurant. Yes, it was around the same time. So Karen's story is corroborated as well. Another one of Laura's neighbors is a 13-year-old boy and his mother. Their house, the back of their house, faces the windows into Laura's apartment. So it sounds like they're like right behind Mm -hmm. them. And they knew Laura and they knew what she looked like. The boy said that he saw Laura when he was looking out of his bathroom window around 9.30 p.m. and saw her walk into the kitchen and then walk into the living room. And then he went to bed. He said he woke up at around 1.30 a.m. And him and his mom are able to say that they remember this time because his mom had, like, just woken up before him. Wow. Great investigation, boy. Great investigation. They're talking to all these witnesses, really putting it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like the most put together timeline I've seen in any of mm-hmm. my research since we've been okay. doing this. So at 1.30 a.m. when the 13-year-old boy and his mom are awake, he says that he sees Laura sitting on the left side of the center living room window with her back to his window that he can see into. Mm-hmm. He could see from the shoulder her shoulder blades up and it looked like she was holding like a cookie or a cracker eating something in her left mm-hmm. hand. The boy says to police that he heard talking, but he didn't know if it was the radio, but he knew it wasn't the TV because there was no like illumination from the TV screen on the wall. Mm -hmm. You know how like when you look into a window, you can tell if someone's TV is on. So he said it definitely wasn't the TV. Right. It kind of illuminates and and like projects a light. Yes. So he said he was like, for sure, not a TV, but not 100% sure if it's like a radio or if she was talking to someone, but he did not see anyone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it's at this time that he goes back to bed. Another neighbor who lived on the second floor, her name was Rebecca. She said she told police that when she went to bed at 9 p.m., there was nothing out of the ordinary that she noticed. But when she left that next morning, which was the 28th, at 6 a.m., she saw she noticed that the second floor back exit door was slightly opened, like a little ajar, which she thought was normally kept secure and shut at all times. And then she also noticed that the front panel to Laura's door was pulled, was, you know, broken. And there was a hole that was blocked a little bit. So she noticed the Mm -hmm. same thing about Laura's door. And this is at 6 a.m. Rebecca also said that at 6 a.m. she could hear music coming from inside of Laura's apartment. She was positive that the door had not been broken the night before. So the 27th when she came home. But Mm -hmm. she didn't try to look inside Laura's apartment. Okay. Which, like, would you have looked? Are you living uh, in that, like, investigator mindset all the time? If you see something weird, like a broken yeah, door? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, to put the toothpaste back in the tube, you know? Yeah. Of, but like, sometimes you're like, oh, not my business. Unless it looks really – because you see some strange stuff nowadays. Unless mm-hmm. it's really, really off base, you, you might have a tendency to move past it. Yeah. You'd be I surprised think- what happens right in front of you and you don't even notice. Hiding I- in plain sight. 
I know. I So I think I've said this before on an episode previously. I, I probably just because of growing up with you and just all of the mm-hmm. investigation discovery that I've consumed and doing this, I am like hyper aware of my surroundings. And if I see like a tarp on the side of the highway or like a shoe, <laughs> I look at the time. Well, yeah. If I notice something that is slightly weird if i see like a car sitting yeah, yeah, off yeah, the yeah, side of the yeah. road or two cars i pay attention to the time and the date and location what mile yeah. marker you're at yeah <laughs> i'm exit. I and how about your murder crazy. barn you haven't talked about your murder barn in a while you know like when oh, you see murder barns there are house there are just those abandoned houses and there was one on the road that i used to live in in maryland and, yeah. there, and that one, there was a storm. I don't know if I told you this. There was a storm that took that barn in half. And so we could then yeah. see inside the barn. There uh. was an old fridge in that oh. barn. <laughs> so now you can old... see inside, but there's a fridge where there might be a body, right? I told Brian every day we drove past it. I was like, Brian. There's, there's a fridge in that. And he was like, he was like, Hannah, it's a, it's a barn. There's yeah, there, that makes sense. You're, you're going to the crazy place. I'm like, that's, I think that's sketchy. Cause it was an old fridge. Like no one from like the fifties or something. It was an old fridge. I'm like, that's a little sketchy to me. Why does, why is there still a fridge there? I'm just saying <laughs> that's where my mind goes to. Okay. Another neighbor. We're now a third floor neighbor spoke to police and tells them that between 10 and 10.30 p.m. that night, he had left his house and he had noticed that Laura's door was not broken. So again, this is just corroborating that that night her door was not broken. And then in the morning it was. So we have a good timeline when this thing happened. He says that he did see her door was broken between 7 and 7.30 a.m. that morning, the next morning when he left. So two hours. So again, remember, 730 is two hours before the police officer arrives to serve those papers and notices. And now finally, we have our last witness, who is Arthur Edwards. Now, for the last six months before Laura's murder, he had actually been homeless, and he would sometimes sleep inside the hallway of Laura's apartment building. This is why I made that comment at the beginning of like, it looks like a house, but like, it's a definitely an inside like apartment because I there's like hallways and like mm-hmm. all the doors and you know the different levels. So that's why I made that comment at the beginning. Oh, uh, so it's not a duplex then, right? It but it but it kind of looks like it from the outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looks like a house to me. So on the night, where was this again? Give me the location Port, of this Portsmouth, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So I guess it could have been like so back back there they have like. So in Boston, they called them triple deckers, you know, but they were specifically apartments, but they were like houses. And there could be there was like a general hallway. So I could see that a homeless person could get could get in there. But they looked like houses. I'm texting are you sending me. Are you yep, texting, texting me a, picture. a picture of it. Yep. And I, I can post these pictures as well. Mm-hmm. When the podcast comes out, when this episode comes out. That's what that is. That's a that's a house that was. Turned into an apartment, yeah. And this is kind of um, probably like on Main Street or something. They're all like this. So there was a hallway, a common area hallway for sure. Okay. And different floors. Mm-hmm. So Arthur Edwards tells police that on the night of the 27th, he had been drinking pretty heavily and was actually on his way to Laura's apartment to sneak in and sleep in the hallway. Mm-hmm. When he arrived on the street, he said that he saw a male and a female arguing on the corner of the street. Now, I would just want to say this story is never going to come back again. And we don't ever get like 
if this was Laura and the person who murdered her. And wouldn't she trip over this guy that was gonna about to was about to go sleep in her hallway? Well, hold on. <laughs> Let me get there. I just want to say that this story is we're never gonna get like a, a definite yes that was Laura and the the person okay. who murdered her. And all right, I think it's possible he was drinking pretty heavily, so he identifies the female that he saw as being Laura, and he identifies the male as being John Shea. I mean, we do get a definite, it's not John Shea. So I was wrong about that, but we don't ever get like a definite, yes, for sure, it was Laura. So he said, because he saw them arguing, he was like, meh, this might not be the best time for me to like sneak into the apartment. So he leaves and then he comes back later and goes to the third floor to sleep. He says that he, he tells police that he did not hear or see anything else. And he doesn't know what time it was, but he knows that it wasn't long after he was there like after he first got there to and fell asleep that he was woken up by a loud crash on the first floor and some arguing he said that he leaves the building because he's worried that the police might show up and he didn't want to get arrested or get in trouble yeah for trespassing or whatever of course vagrancy or whatever it was yeah he does remember noticing that door, Laura's door was open a couple of inches and he could hear yell, the yelling coming from inside as he was leaving, but he also did not look in. So this is a little different. Everyone else is saying that the door is shut but broken. He's saying he he as he's you know leaving, the door is open a little bit. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned earlier with the DNA, uh, at the time in 1981, they were only able to get the blood type from the DNA profiles that they had. And it was what was found on the, the glass bottle that was taken from the scene. They get a type A blood. Laura did not have type A. So they knew that this was. Oh, good. This is this is the bad guy. In 2000, Portsmouth Police Department submitted two samples for testing at Cellmark Diagnostics in Maryland. We've talked about them, I think, like one other time. Mm-hmm. They were only able to get a partial male DNA profile. What year was this? 2000. Hold on. So the so case now- goes cold. Yes. Sorry. When did it go cold? 1981 all they all they are uh, able to get is a type one type a blood okay and then they've you know they've ruled out all of the witnesses that they've right. spoken to yeah okay all so right. it goes it does go cold okay so it goes cold all right yes thanks 2000... for sharing that information with me okay i'm sorry <laughs> the air force used to pay you to figure things out if oh. i'm jumping well, what about from... our listeners all right okay i'm sorry 2002 they submit samples to the main state police crime lab for forensic DNA testing. They are at this point able to connect all of the items that were, were taken for testing. So all of the evidence that was collected for DNA testing, they're able to say that all of that comes from the same person. All of the DNA they collected from different from, items from each item okay. is from the same person. Okay, good. From the cigarette, the glass bottle, and the swabs that were taken from Laura's legs. They were able wow, to Wow, the rule... cigarette. Like, y- you have time to sit and smoke a cigarette. So the person was either there before or was bashing her over the head, smoked a cigarette, and then continued to bash her over the head or something until she died or or, or trying to get out of the house. He was frustrated with that door and, and smoking a cigarette. So was the, he was there for a while. But also smoking a cigarette in the house. We've talked about them before. This is one of the companies that 
does the genetic genealogy. They have the, um, you know, the databases and the geneticists that work backwards on a family tree. Because I think it's been a while. Genetic genealogy. Correct. So May, and it usually, what from what I've noticed, it takes like almost a year, a good six months, a good amount of time for this process. Yeah, yeah at least a year. So that's September of 2021. May of 2022, Portsmouth police received the name Ronnie James Lee. He was born in 1960. He served in the Army until May 15th of 1981. And worked for MBI Security Mutual from June of that year until August of 1982. He had been arrested in November of 1982 for attempted theft, and he was linked to four other burglaries between July and September of 1983. Huh. If, see, if there were DNA in those days, right? If they were taking the DNA profile in those days, that's why th- there was no profile, but he'd been in the system before. Okay. Yes, because again, we've talked about they didn't start doing that in prisons or like and if someone was arrested until the 90s, like the late 90s. Right. So, so like 96, I believe. That would have been there, and then when they got the profile, it it would have hit right away, right? But they mm-hmm. it wasn't there. Those th- this uh, capability didn't exist, so they had to do the genealogy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nineteen eighty-seven, he was convicted of burglary charges and a sexual assault, and he served prison time for that. Oh my from gosh! December of nineteen eighty-seven to July of nineteen ninety. The whole way thinking, I got this because I killed someone who hadn't been caught for that. And he actually died of acute cocaine intoxication on February 9th of 2005. So, so they can't from, talk to him. Right. From his autopsy, they're able, so police are obviously able to go and get the autopsy that was done when he died. And do the d- double verify the DNA. And they double, they verify that his DNA matched the samples, all of the, the DNA profiles that they had from the swabs that they took from Laura's body from the cigarette butt and the bottles and they confirmed that he was the person who murdered laura so from the attorney general's report that i read they are officially closing this and saying he is the person obviously if he was still alive we would be charging him and punishing him according to the law but unfortunately he already died i I think there's so much evidence that they can say that because do you remember i would say well all that does is prove that you were there at the scene right i was gonna say a lot of the times when we read these when i'm doing research it will say like it says like this is the person we got but then at the end it still says if you have any information regarding yeah. this case so, so, so it never like really closes. no it. because the the dna on the bottle i mean that's that mm-hmm. says it all right there that's good I, like i said they they got pretty good evidence and they can feel comfortable about about closing that case so that's good case closed solved resolved good Yeah, like I said, that was the first time I'd seen like a full on like we are closing this case. We're Mm -hmm. confident in that he would have been charged, tried and convicted of this crime. So. All right. Genetic genealogy to the rescue once again. Once again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All righty. That is all I have for you for this one for this week. All right. So thank you guys for listening again this week. Please make sure that you're following us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast. And then we are also on Twitter, which I guess actually technically is X now. Are, are we all calling it X now? At TC Archives Pod. 
And make sure you're following us on Spotify and Apple and wherever you listen to your podcast, click the little follow button and then you'll get notified every Monday when we have a brand new episode and you can go back and listen to all of our previous, what did you say? 80 now? 89. You can listen to 89 other episodes, 88 other episodes that are available to listen right now. And we will talk to you guys next week. Later. Bye. Bye.